there are within our midst fellowship people with these kinds of struggles. And I, I think we have to try to think very hard what it must be like for them to enter into the circle and hear what we say and watch what we do. Um, I think without compromise, but that's where the gospel comes in at, the, at its core. What is the gospel? We have to be clear about that. And we have to say more than we have to exhibit that it's a gospel that receives sinners. Yeah. It's not a gospel for good, respectable people. Welcome back to Roundtable, a podcast produced by Mid-America Reform Seminary. This is episode 42, and I'm Jared Luchuor. Thank you for joining us. In our series on human sexuality uh, thus far, Reverend Compton, Dr. Strange, and Dr. Venema have taken us through history, through culture, and the church's reaction to human sexuality. In our concluding episode, an all-too-important subject matter is up for discussion, and that is ministering to the sexually broken in our midst. I hope you enjoy. We've talked a lot about where things are in the culture. We've talked about how the church has bought into some very uh, errant approaches uh, to sexuality, denied some of the richness of Scripture. Um, well, from here, I think we can we can move forward and say, well, where do we go from here? How do we how do we minister to the brokenness that that even exists in Christians? Our our, our uh, the the sin we engage in, the 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 victimization that has happened to uh, many Christians that they they're bearing that great burden for. Um, how do we minister to them? Where do we go from here as Christians? Well, I think we do our best to represent in a positive way the good. I use the language good when God created. Adam and Eve, the whole of creation, and ordered things to his glory. He was he delighted in the work of his hands. And what he saw, he declared, it was John Murray, uh, since I'm the dogmatics professor, says there's a sense in which uh, there's a justification, a declaration, verdict rendered that he's well pleased. Now look what a mess we've made of things in terms of our relationships with each other, also and in particular within marriage and family. One thing the church doesn't want to do, I think, is represent ourselves and what we do as the standard of uh, holiness. We need to be pretty, pretty clear that we too are sinners in need of God's grace. We're broken people. Our marriages are not idyllic and uh, everything is as it should be. I always love that phrase of uh, Neil Plantinga, not the way it's supposed yeah. to be. So one of the problems the church has is we represent ourselves as though we are living the way people should live, and so do it like we do it. And if you don't, we're not going to be pleased to have much to do with you. Um, I think we have to start with some kind of a sense of our own brokenness, and but for the grace of God, we too would find ourselves in some of the difficult places people find themselves, also in terms of human sexuality. Uh, so it has to be a representation based on Scripture of a good order and what God intends, together with an appropriate humility, that we're not the standard. Mm. 
And we too have a long ways to go. We have our own forms. I, I think we, one of the things the church has done often, I think, is, is identify those particularly egregious sexual sins, whether it be homosexuality or other forms of uh, uh, destructive interactions sexually between human beings. Uh, and we're we're not guilty of those things, right? Well, it, it it so happens that within the Christian community, respectable though it may appear, the problem of pornography is a huge problem. And if we don't communicate in a way that says we need the same grace that we are representing as a grace that is able to address you and begin to bring healing into your life, um. I know that's a bit of a rambling comment, but I guess we're very good at representing the norm and the standard and Mm -hmm. what God finds pleasing, but we're not very good at representing ourselves as falling short and in need of a grace that if it's able to save Mm -hmm. and embrace us, is, is, does not exclude from the outset the possibility that people whose lives are broken and they come to us in a circumstance that is clearly broken, how do we speak to them? And, and even the notion, of, I think that's so relevant, Cornell, even the notion that the problem, and now we're talking about aberrant sexuality of some sort, is a problem out there, yeah. not a problem in here. Rather that when I'm preaching to God's people, I need to know when I talk about uh, same-sex attraction, there are people right before me who were struggling with same-sex attraction. When we talk about transgenderism, particularly in the culture, there are people who struggle with gender identity. And we we will have people sitting among us who have questions about some of these things. Mm -hmm. And particularly as our, our society around us promotes it, these things used to be uh, so taboo, right. In civil society that, that, a lot was cut off at the past. I mean, two things. People just suffered in silence with these things. Mm-hmm. Or society was so against it that, you know, people themselves tended to move away from it. But we have to admit that all of our church members are part of, they're in neighborhoods, they're in schools, they're in places where this stuff is not only not taboo, but celebrated. Yeah. It's celebrated, and so that's going to impact us as well. I mean, it's not that there hasn't always been these issues. And when I stand here as the preacher preaching, I'm not preaching as one who has, you know, Jesus Christ makes it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that you look on your, if you look with hatred at your brother, that's the beginnings of murder. If you look with lust upon a woman that is not your wife, that's the beginning of adultery. And we all experience this. We all experience these things in different degrees. None of us are strangers to hatred or lust or these sins. And so we need we do need a proper kind of candor about it that sometimes we've lacked. Um, and I, I remember preaching uh, a sermon from Leviticus that I, I titled The Consistent Death Ethic and showing how that you have sort of cheek to jowl uh, giving your, your children to Molech uh, on the one hand, and male lying with male. And I said, neither one of these are productive of life because male with male doesn't have the possibility of producing mm-hmm. life. And 
Molech destroys that. And so yeah. abortion, same-sex matters. And I said, but you see, we like to preach something like this, and it's all about out there. What I went on to say was, how does this apply to us? There's a sense in which I participate as a Christian in Moloch when I'm not properly loving my child. Let's think of some ways in which we don't do that, in which we, you know, and let's think of some ways in which I said to men, maybe even our sexual relationship with our wives is not really about us giving to them, but it's just more about ourselves. And it's not really that different of an ethos. And of course, we like to, people like to think themselves as very different. They want to see themselves as, well, I don't have anything to do with same-sex attraction. Uh, well, you might more than you think in the sense that you do what you do to please yourself. And, right. and that that partakes of that. So it's it's helpful, I think, for the church to talk about this and to show how that that we're not all strangers to these things and we can then as people come in, we can address these things. We can seek to help people deal with these things. When, and even as the church, what, you, what you're getting at is, is also so closely related to this failure to make that right distinction between the message of the law and the message of the gospel, right? It, it, so often, especially in more conservative circles, our, our, our public message has focused on we need to tell people what what the word says, uh, what God's law requires, and and that's sort of the stance. That's sort of the the essence of of the message. We need to tell uh, our gay neighbor that that God does not approve of their gay lifestyle. Well, certainly that's the case. God does not approve right. of their of their gay lifestyle. He does not approve of gay sex. He's not designed sex for that. And yet, I think we're fools if we assume that gay people don't know that about us already. They know the Bible doesn't support this. And now, they need to hear more than the gospel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what 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 they need, what they need is a script that that actually that actually shows that they're they're pursuing wholeness, they're pursuing fullness and shalom and a, and a, a seeking to be uh, really just made whole as a person by means of the same-sex uh, relationship or by means of any type of, of deviant sexual relationship is going to fail. It's not going to provide the meaning. It's not going to provide the integration um, that sex in the context of marriage between one man and one woman, uh, husband and wife, um, the significance that that relationship provides because it fits into God's plan for the world, for the creation. Uh, there's the gospel message that sex uh, sex fit into the creation, and it even fits into the new creation. You you, you brought up a, in our first episode, Cornell, about how even in redemption, sex plays a role. We our, our savior, well, not coming through uh, sex, of course, but but takes on human flesh and redeems humanity. Uh, we have a new creation uh, in Him, and there's there's uh, there's a gospel message. That makes better sense of the experience of, of people longing for any number of sexual deviancies. There's a, there's a message that gives them a better answer and describes their longings and their urges in better ways and provides a, a, a better place for them to go. Well, this may be a strange and possibly also a dangerous thing for me to say, but I've, I've long believed that one of our challenges, difficulties in showing appropriate compassion toward and 
uh, even receiving in a warm and welcoming way uh, those who have struggles in this area or who may actually be in relationships that are falling short of the biblical standard. We, we do tend by emphasizing properly, as I've emphasized, the, the beauty of marriage and the wonder of within marriage the being fruitful and multiplying. There's no joy greater than not only the relationship with your wife, but together you see that you're one flesh in your children if the Lord grants you the blessing of children. Mm -hmm. But there can be an idolatry. Idolatry is taking anything God creates good and making it a God. Mm. And I think sometimes, you know, there's a certain kind of emphasis on family and marriage. And I also sometimes associated with the assumption that because a person is in Christ, a believer, though still struggling with some very serious impulses, same-sex desires, whatever terminology you want to use, um, they, don't, they don't fit. Yeah. They're, they're made to see themselves as at best second-class citizens. They may never see marriage and family as in their future in this life. And we don't communicate to them very effectively. They can nonetheless be brothers, sisters within this household of faith, the church, without marriage, without children, even with their struggles. And uh, you know, sort of a romanticized, sentimental view of the glory of marriage and family, which you haven't and never will have. And so maybe this is not a place for you. And, I don't, and nobody says that explicitly, at least most of the time. But we communicate it regardless. I mean, this is an odd, that's why I call this maybe a strange comment. I don't think we do enough with singleness Hmm. And with the apostolic acknowledgement that in certain circumstances, whatever those may be, that's a particularly good thing, pleasing to the Lord and appropriate to your circumstance. And singles are, well, they have to find their own place, not within the household. Yeah. And they go there. Or that's a church where those who are single might find a ready reception and we we message we signal that that you are say, uh, still unmarried notice the still unmarried oh. that the absolute norm for all is marriage and family well if you communicate that you've you've set yourself up in a place where you're not going to be now talking about the local church mm -hmm. you're not going to be very effective in ministering to people who have these kinds of struggles and now, there's a whole different area here where you're you're facing as a church a very militant, almost angry attack upon the scriptures and the gospel message and the teaching of scripture about what pleases God. Uh, I'm not talking about that, but I'm, I'm talking about within our midst, there are far more people yeah. than we ever really acknowledge. Um, I know within my own acquaintances, families, uh, I mean, it, it comes up all the time. There are, within our midst, fellowship people with these kinds of struggles. And I, I think we have to try to think very hard what it must be like for them to enter into the circle and 
hear what we say and watch what we do. Um, I think without compromise, but that's where the gospel comes in at, the, at its core. What is the gospel? We have to be clear about that. And we have to say more than we have to exhibit that it's a gospel that receives sinners. Yeah. It's not a gospel for good, respectable people. Yeah, get your sexuality together, and then you, and then can, you can come and come be a part of our community. Join us. A new kind of preparationism. Right. You're right. Well, I, I think, Cornell, what you've just said is, I think it's very much on the subject, and I think it has to be said. I, I seek to say this in my marriage and family conferences. One of the things I say in one of my sessions, I begin off by saying, marriage, we make both too much and too little of marriage. And... Um, the, the the too much is um, when we freight it with expectations that it cannot bear. Yeah. Because a lot of people look to their marriage, men and women, in the Christian church, they look to their marriage, they look, which is to say they look to their partner, to their wife or their husband, to provide that which only God in Christ can provide. Yeah. And they're always going to be disappointed by that. They're always going to be disappointed in each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, many people, that's the way they live their whole marriage life. So one of the things I say in these conferences is I'm going to give you, and we're going to speak about the theology of marriage, the beauty, how it points us to something greater because in the new heavens and new earth, there's neither marriage nor giving in marriage. So we're not Mormons. No. It's not a, <laughs> this is not a perpetual <laughs> estate. It gives way to a greater reality that it signalizes. It's a kind of symbol for but um, I, I say, I also, part of what I'm going to do here is I hope when you leave here, you don't leave like some marriage conferences. You're both looking really slant-eyed and critically at each other. I'm actually going to tell you to lower your expectations for hmm. your partner hmm. and to have a higher expectation for yourself. Be more critical of yourself and less critical of your partner. That's that's what yeah. we're going to come out. So, so if you emerge from this, you know, hitting each other, saying, did you hear what he said? You missed my point. <laughs> you know, and there's a way, I, I think... This can almost get back to uh, to the Imago Day. You know, we we need to remind ourselves of all these humans in this world that are created in God's image, and let that orient our thinking toward them. Because we can so quickly make the assess- assessment that's a gay person, or that person's uh, shacking up and, and living in a, a sexual relationship uh, unmarried, and and that's our focus of them, uh, and and that that sort of leads us to say, well, we need to, we need to sort of pry those bad behaviors out of them instead of saying, wait a minute, here's a person made in God's image, seeking a wholeness that only he can provide a meaning that only he can provide. And, and, but they're seeking it somewhere else. And look what this is resulting in. And that they, they have certain categories. There's a point of contact with them because they're made in God's image. They believe there's an eschatology uh, that that they're destined for. Now they may not use that language, but they know there's a point. Maybe it's maybe they've just collapsed it into pleasure. Well, frankly, a lot of Christians have done that. We've collapsed our eschatology into that of personal fulfillment and pleasure. Maybe we 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 try to pursue that within more biblical types of activities, but but nonetheless, it's still as as self oriented. And yet, being able to look to these people, saying, "Here's an image bearer who is seeking." Uh, what, what God has offered them in this new script, in this new story, 
that that is safe. That's not performance-based because that's what so much of this deviant sexuality is driven by is performance. And young people can be especially picked up by this when they're when they're whole and attractive, and they can they can get all these uh, sexual partners. But what happens when you get old and and you begin to lose your hair and you put on weight and it's harder to perform? Well, then now you're you're into this bondage that this can only lead to. We're thankful that this is just audio. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But there is a. There's a, a wonderful hope. There's a better message of sexuality that will delight the hearts of these people seeking for happiness in same-sex relationships or seeking for happiness in, in a hookup culture where they can feel uh, as though they're conquering, as though they've got uh, some importance and value, at least for a moment. Um, and we're saying, no, you do have value. You have importance. And here's the way that provides for that. Here's the, the path of safety. Right, and even there to help them to see that, yes, God has given this for this sort of fulfillment, but it's temporal, it's provisional, and it's not ultimate. That what we're all being led to, and this is why we can speak to singles. This is why, and not singles necessarily who are struggling with same sex, but they're they're genuinely single. They don't, Mm -hmm. they're not pursuing marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or, you know, there's all sorts of things here that we need to, to do better and the ways we need to communicate better. Uh, my prayer is for the church uh, to become as the world grows increasingly hostile. And there's just, we're just in the last weeks, uh, the, 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 the civil situation has, has become more violent. Hmm. Uh, what do we look to? Well, here we have, here we have in Christ a new life. Here we have in Christ a new life, which includes marriage as a part of that if you're married if that's the calling or not but at any rate you're we have lives hidden with god in christ that's that's the main point well that does it for our series on human sexuality i hope you were blessed by our professors and their dialogue with one another on this incredibly significant topic Well, you might remember that Reverend Compton and I chatted together on Roundtable about the church and technology a while back. We're going to take that a step further next time and talk a little bit about social media and the Christian's use of it. We hope you'll join us next time for that. For more Roundtable podcast episodes, you can find us on SermonAudio.com, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to search Mid-America Reform Seminary. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.